Hello and welcome to episode 101 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. We are once again reaching into the ranks of the pod fam. Our guest today is going to be Tony Hernandez. You know his lovely voice from the heart of LAFC Podcast. You can follow him at Endes underscore Erez on social media. And of course, if you're obviously already following Heart of LAFC, but if you're not, that is at Heart of LAFC. So, Mr. Tony, welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Glad to be here, you guys. Thank you for inviting me. Really, really appreciate you having on there. I am joined, of course, as always, by Christopher Signs. Christian Aparicio, running a little late, will be joining us just in a moment. Good evening, Chris. What up, what up? Thank you very much, Tony, for coming on. Excited to do another episode. New format, which uh, we're excited to debut to. Tony, you get to be a part of this new format that we got going down. It's going to be fun, especially LAFC. It's always good to talk about LAFC, but especially when LAFC are playing well. So I'm really looking forward to uh, tonight. Well, Chris has said it right there. We have a brand new segment we are debuting since we have passed the centennial mark. We are going to feature an opponent correspondent on each show that will help us preview our upcoming match by bringing in somebody from the respective team's media community. So this week, we are very, very pleased to be joined by Sam Spiller. You know him at Samich923. He is from Stumptown Footy, Stumptown Footy. At Stumptown Footy uh, is an SB Nation coverage of the Portland Timbers and Thorns. So he'll be joining us a little bit later to preview our upcoming match versus Portland. But first, gentlemen, we have some news and notes across the world of LAFC we'd like to cover in a match to recap. Some other things going on in the community we want to talk about real quick before we dive into each of those segments. So first and foremost, we have a brand new goalkeeper. Chris, you want to give us the rundown on our new keeper? Well, technically, we have two brand new goalkeepers, but the one I that I corrected. Feel, <laughs> but the one that is a permanent fixture for LAFC is uh, Mr. Jamal Blackman. He is a gentleman that we had acquired. He was a free agent most recently, but as of late, his last club was actually Chelsea from the EPL. And he came over as a free transfer, and we were just waiting on his international transfer certificate and his P1 visa. He was pretty much out of the Chelsea Academy as a youth player, originally signed a contract in 2012. He has represented Chelsea on the younger U23s, the U19s, and the U17s, also representing uh, England at the U17 and U19 level. He has been on loan several times throughout his time with Chelsea, native of Croydon, England, joined LAFC after spending the 2021 season on loan with Rotherham United of the English Championship, where he made 28 appearances in all competitions and recorded six clean sheets. He has been loaned out since 2016 to six different clubs in Sweden and England, and an interesting acquisition. You know, I don't know if it's necessarily because Pablo Cisniega and the recent successful surgery that he had because he had sustained a uh, nasal fracture. But Pablo Cisniega started the season as our number one keeper. He lost his job to Tomas Romero, as we all know. And I don't know if, if this player that we just got, Jamal, is coming in to be a new number one or if it's a competition to be a number one. You know, you would think that the pedigree that he has and the experience that he has is definitely something that we would like to see him have an opportunity. He has a huge stature. He is 6'6", 205 pounds, and he's 27 years old. So he's still very much in a young, athletic, prime age. 
and uh, it'll be interesting, interesting to see how this works out uh, this off the remainder of this season, the off season and into next season. Well, we're going to have to wait until his P1 visa clears in order to get a chance to see him on the pitch. With Sissoniega going down, it looks like this is going to be our stand-in backup. He was the backup to Petr Cech during Chelsea's 2015-2016 uh, Premier League Championship. So this guy's got championship pedigree. I mean, he's got an EPL cup in his locker at home. That's a lot of experience. Talking about a guy who's, you know, with U17 and U19 England national team, that's a lot of experience with a lot of great coaches. And what he's going to be able to work with Zach Abdel and do as a backup to Romero is going to be very interesting to see. Whether or not LAFC brought him in with the intention of taking over for Romero is a really good question. Romero's got some great skill, but he is a small framed keeper. We saw this most recently with the Crylock goal where, you know, it, it, it was an angle a keeper should have got to, and it, it was just a couple inches past his fingertips. And here we have a keeper that's, you know, what about five inches taller, I think, than Romero. So that's, you know, an extra little bit of wingspan there that might stop something like that. The pedigree of a keeper coming from EPL and all that is, I mean, look, you can't say this is a bad addition to the squad. I am a little concerned over what this means for the futures of either Pablo Cicinega or Romero going forward. So Tony, man, why don't you go ahead, hop in and give us your two cents on this new signing? Like I said, like we, I think we had the conversation before on Hart. I believe he's coming in to like, I think battle for that number one position. Cause like Romero is doing good and there's no question about that. You know what I mean? He's still young. He's still learning and everything, but with his pedigree of him coming from EPL and Chelsea and having everything, the, only thing about him that I remember, he's never played for Chelsea or even in the EPL. It's always been championship and below, if I remember that. So he just couldn't break. It's, it's again, he's playing for Chelsea, so it's harder to break into that like club than other clubs, unfortunately. But I see him like trying out and see if we can do it. I know since Siega's on a free next year, so we don't know if, you know, we've been doing this goalkeeper carousel for what, like three years now or so? <laughs> So who knows what's going to happen? He's gotten minutes for Sheffield United, Bristol Rovers, you know, Wickham Wanderers, uh, you know, Osterund there in Sweden. These aren't really small clubs, right? I mean, you know, some of those are some fairly big clubs that he got first team minutes with. And just because he was, you know, second, third string keeper on a really good Chelsea squad, he's still around all those players. He's still part of pushing them. And he's still getting all that same coaching. You know, this this whole situation kind of reminds me of something that's happening right now with uh, my employer, the Ontario Fury, who had the goalkeeper of the year last year in Clayson DeLima and still went out and signed Chris Toth, one of the most famous goalkeepers in the history of MASL. What Coach Jimmy Nordberg was telling us about it is, look, the future of Clayson is bright, but he really needs that veteran presence, that mature presence to help him get to that next level. And I wonder if bringing in a player with this kind of experience harkens to the same mentality that they're really trying to help develop the keepers in the system by bringing in somebody who has this kind of experience. Well, and I think that that was going to be the role of Kenneth Vermeer, and it just didn't necessarily pan out. You know, I think that ultimately you look at both of the keepers that we currently have and now the one that we're acquiring, like you said, they hadn't really had that opportunity to play at the top flight of the clubs that they came from. You know, when Cisniego was at Real Sociedad, he was mostly part of the Real Sociedad B, not necessarily part of the top 11, the first 11 squad. And you look at Romero and how he had come pretty much directly out of college. So, you know, yes, we, I do believe that Black Moon will be able to bring some sort of experience, but 
at the same time too, you know, it's not, I don't think it's going to be the same as Kenneth Vermeer. I think that it's the similar intentions, but it's not going to be the same results. I think that this player is a different style player. And I think that the mentality is going to be different where Kenneth might've been brought in for a mentoring, whereas this player is going to look to push. Poor Kenneth. He is having an absolutely terrible season. I, I think he's near the bottom of the rankings in most categories. I, I really feel for that guy. So obviously this is a result of Pablo Cisniega having successful surgery to repair a nasal fracture from a shot he took off the beak cotton. So we wish our best to Pablo Cisniega. Hopefully he has a speedy recovery. But in the meantime, we had to reach down into the depths of the keeper pool. For those of you who are not familiar with this, MLS keeps a variety of players under contract with the league. And in emergency situations, they will fill in for teams that have double injuries or COVID absences or anything like that. So Greg Ranjit Singh was added to the roster before our game versus Austin as an emergency backup should something happen to Romero and he have to step out of the game. So it's not a good situation when you're reaching into the league's emergency backups to find a player. So hopefully this P1 visa clears here pretty soon. We get a chance to see Black Man. I would think it would be very interesting if we had Tristan Blackman and Jamal Blackman on the same team at the same time, and they're passing back and forth at each other, and it's Blackman to Blackman to Blackman to Blackman. I, I just, to me, that's going to be hilarious, and I can't wait to see how tongue-tied Max and them get over it when the two of them are on the pitch together, especially if that happens when we go into Portland and we have two Valerys and two Blackmans uh, playing against each other at the same time. Poor people on the radio are going to have no idea what's going on in the game. I, you know, it might be just one of those ones where you just refer to them by first name. Jamal passes to, to Tristan. No, that I just. No, but you know it's um, you know a former LAFC keeper who is also part of that MLS pool was Charlie Leon. So you know we do have this isn't necessarily. I don't think Charlie. I think Charlie was actually a signed player for LAFC, and then after he left LAFC, he became part of that goalkeeper player uh, MLS pool. But, uh, you know, Charlie had been called up to a couple of different clubs in the 2019 season. I do remember seeing him. There is another interesting wrinkle in all of this as well, too. And that's apparently that Philip Ejimadu has been seen at the training center. If you remember, Philip Ejimadu was our third string keeper last year. Never really got much in the way of first team minutes, but hasn't seemed to found a place with the lights or with LAFC and yet has reportedly, I, mean, I haven't seen it with my own eyes, but people who've been to the training center have told me that they've seen Ejimaru at the training center. And if you look at his social media accounts, he's taken some selfies at the training center as well, too. So who knows if we're going to see a return of Ejimaru to either LAFC or to the lights as well, too. Fascinating, but we did prior to this match versus Austin, which I want to dive into next, we did have to reach into that emergency keeper pool. Before we start talking about Austin and the game that we just had a couple days ago chris you got an update for us uh it's uh turkey time you want to tell us a little bit about what's uh going on over there in fenerbahce with our boy diego well i'm glad you asked good sir so there was uh, a break after diego was loaned out to fenerbahce there was a break an international break so fenerbahce had about a week uh where there was no matches in their first return to regular season play diego rossi not only got a start he played for the full 90 minutes and he gave the assist pass across to the player who scored the goal I can't even think of his name for the life of me number but he's number 21 for Fenerbahce and it was a it was a, a, a pass into the box and he was the assist 
And then uh, they had their match today against Eintracht Frankfurt in the Europa League. And Diego, again, got the start, played the full 90. Uh, Mesut Ozil is the one who got the, the one goal for Fenerbahce. It ended in a 1-1 draw. But again, it just shows that Diego Rossi is getting some good minutes, some good experience. First Europa match, he played, like I said, the full 90. He had two shots on goal. So I feel that Diego is performing well so far. I don't know if you saw the video. He had a moment in today's match where through ball, I think it was from Ozil, you know, comes route one and he's one-on-one with the keeper. You know, the, the next defender is a couple yards behind him by the time he gets up front. And it's just him versus the keeper. And he side foots it right to the keeper. Keeper didn't even have to move. It was not the greatest of shots. So hopefully Rossi can find a little bit of confidence and, and score those goals in order to win over that fan base without too many more moments like that. Remember, he's on loan. And we know that the loan is with the intent of them purchasing. But if things don't work out over there, and none of us know the particulars of this loan deal, there's always a chance that they don't complete the sale and he ends up coming back so uh, this is something that I think all of us are a little nervous about if he gets hurt or if he doesn't perform over there what does that mean for the contingency clauses within this contract so hopefully he gets his shooting boots under him the assist that he had was uh, I mean an assist on the scoreboard but it wasn't necessarily the crispest and cleanest of passes in kind of was just a fire into the box and someone happened to get on the end of it so Hopefully he finds his boots and, and can really start getting his legs there. Tony, did you get a chance to see any of those highlights? I saw a couple of them. I know I saw the his first game and it was just like, you know, like you just said the one, it was like he kind of shot it and luckily someone was there. Fortunately, I didn't, wasn't able to see the, uh, if it was going to kill me if I can't say it, Frankfurt or Frankfurt? Eintracht Frankfurt, <laughs> Eintracht uh, which is a Frankfurt. Phillies team. That's where Philly grew up when he was living in Germany. But yeah, Eintracht Frankfurt. Yeah, so um, I didn't see that. I know he got to an assist from their social media and then Bam from Hart also just informed me right now of, about that one-on-one with the keeper and kind of embarrassed himself. And that's me saying them in kind words because Bam goes a little bit, you know, harsher. <laughs> yeah, those Australians, they're not known for cursing at all. You know, he's only played two matches. He's gotten the start in both matches. I mean, think about Chicho Arango and how many matches it took for him until he was able to get his goal and his first goal was a penalty shot, right? So I do feel that um, knowing Diego and his work right on the pitch, uh, I do. I am confident that he will do well. And you know, the other thing that to mention, let's say that uh, Fenerbahce decides to not make that purchase. That doesn't mean that a different club that sees him and likes what Diego can offer their club won't come in with an offer to buy him too. If Fenerbahce decides not to, you know, this is exposure for him in all of the Super League and also in Europa. So, I mean, there's going to be more eyes on him than we would say for Brian Rodriguez when he went out on loan because he was just playing in the second division in Spain, whereas Diego is going to be at the top flight in Turkey and he is participating in international tournaments. Well, with that, why don't we go ahead and dive into the Austin FC match? So LAFC defeated Austin FC 2-1. That's the season sweep. We beat them all three times, once at the bank, twice at Q2 Stadium. It was a back-and-forth game. It was not a very crisp or clean game from either team. There were lots of mistakes, lots of interesting things going on, but uh, we managed to secure a penalty 
early on to take the one nil lead through ball through the middle after a, an odd turnover in the midfield Tell, stop me if you've heard that before ended up causing a breakaway going back the other way and they were able to get on level and then we had that absolute screamer from moose late in the game to go ahead and put us up 2-1. And despite an exorbitant amount of bizarrely applied stoppage time, we were able to hold on and weather the 2-1 victory. That's now three games in a row with dubs for LAFC. Uh, So nine points. We are now clear of the playoff line for the first time in some time. So LAFC currently sitting in seventh place, we have our 33 points tied with sixth place RSL. They have us on goal differential by two goals at the moment. Can up above us, we've now pulled within a, a nice gap there, closer to some of those teams in front of us. So Portland, that we're heading into face this weekend, only one point ahead of us. So we have a chance to leapfrog both RSL and Portland, depending on the outcome of the RSL game, and a chance to take all the way up to fifth place. And we are now only five points behind Carson with a chance to potentially have that big matchup between those two teams be for a spot in the playoffs coming up when we head down to Carson in a few weeks. So fantastic. We talked about this on the last show. I was looking for six points out of these two games. And if we were going to start having the conversation that LAFC is a playoff team, it was going to take six points for that to really be part of the conversation. Well, now we have those six points. So what do you think about this run of form ultimately leading up to this Austin game? And how are you feeling about LAFC's playoff chances right now, boys? So I think that LAFC is definitely getting a lot of momentum and that's going to carry on over. I'm concerned with the amount of matches and the amount of days. And I think that fatigue at some point is going to play a factor. But as of right now, playing against Portland, Portland had a match themselves where it was and as you know you guys will hear later in the episode when we speak to Sam we talk about how LAFC and Portland have played earlier in the season the one game where LAFC had lost at the uh, stoppage time at the end of the match but uh, LAFC has to play Portland two times in the next 10 days after Sunday and they're going to have to play San Jose two times in the next 10 days from that initial game and a week after that So there's a lot of repetitive teams and it's going to be one of those things where whoever wins the first match is going to see and pick apart what they did wrong and apply it immediately when they play those teams again. So that's something that we're just going to have to be aware of. We're also, like I said, going to have a lot of guys with a lot of minutes and heavy legs. So I just really hope that we keep our pace and we keep our conditioning and our fitness and we rely on the fact that We should have been anticipating this from the beginning of the season because the schedule had been out and we were aware that this is what the schedule was going to be. Uh, Of course, obviously, at the beginning of the season, we're not expecting to have Vela out. You're not expecting to have Opoku out. You're not expecting to have Segura out. That depth has really been tested. And now that we're in that crunch time of year where the games seem to be piled on top of each other, we've got an international window that's got players out. And of course, we have a ton of players who are not at fitness. So, I I mean, I don't you, you mentioned fatigue factor. I think I saw a lot of fatigue factor in this game versus Austin. There were a lot of slow moving people out there that just did not have the same pace and precision that we are used to seeing from LAFC and what at times was a very, very sloppy game. Tony, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Like I said, you you don't expect Vela to be out. We don't expect like all this stuff, but it's like, like like I always say, it's like, I'm happy that we're, we're streaking now than, than earlier. You know what I mean? Because it's better to, to do it later, especially like look at Seattle, look at Portland. They literally like weren't doing so hot. They, I think 
if I forgot where I was watching it, but they said like Seattle was actually where we were when they won the cup, exactly in the same position and everything. They hit the right marks at the right time and ended up winning the cup. So it's a good thing that we were streaking that as well as also it's a better transitional period because we know in MLS teams don't stay forever. They transition every three, four years. And this is, was a good transition for the young guys to have. The fatigue is a factor as a, as Chris was saying earlier, you can never like, no matter how young you are, you look, like we're not 16 where you can just keep going tournaments, like two games, a tournament and stuff like that. So it's going to be a big factor. Hopefully we don't get another injury like we did last time we went to Portland, but we'll see. Yeah. Mario, I think especially really looked like he was uh, struggling to keep with the pace of the game at times that certainly led to their goal. Fall, he's the young kid. He still seems to have his win to it. But throughout the rest of the team, there were a lot of players that really just, you know, might be the travel, might be we just had a game three days ago. I think those are all big factors there as well, too. And I'm not coming down on the players. It's just a squad depth issue at the moment that we're really trying to see these guys press. And in a moment where they don't have full fitness, they don't have a full squad, they didn't play their best game, we still came out of it with a win. So I think, you know, those are all positives to take away from it, that if you can play a, a dirty game and still come out of it with three points, especially missing our star power and, and a number of other players throughout it, our captain was out, you know, all of those things, you know, we've got an emergency reserve keeper on the bench, right? It's fairly dire straits as far as squad building goes at this point, just, just due to injuries and call-ups. But to be able to, again, walk away with those three points was, was a very big deal. Portland uh, managed to squeak out a very, very late tie versus Colorado with a 91st minute stoppage time goal from Blanco. So they uh, were riding a, a pretty sick win streak going into this game. They still got points, got points from Colorado, a team that's above them in the table coming into our matchup this weekend. So boys, unless you have anything else you want to finish up on Austin FC, we could go ahead and debut a brand new segment for you guys on this show. We'll be right back with our new opponent correspondent section featuring Sam's filler of Stumptown Footy right after this break. Hi, guys. My name is Jaime Camille, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Joining us for episode 101 to preview our upcoming match versus Portland, we have from SB Nation's coverage of the Portland Timbers. You know him from Stumptown Footy. You can follow them at Stumptown Footy on all your social media platforms. Joining us today, Sam Spiller, he is at Samich923, and we are so blessed to have him on the show. Sam, thank you for joining us. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. Before we get started, I just want to say you have a fantastic voice for radio. <laughs> I feel like I feel hyped. I feel ready. Like I'm like, I feel like I was just like unveiled with like, like fireworks. Like I'm like out of like a curtain. I'm ready to go. Uh, Mama always said I had a face for radio. Uh, so. I tell you, Sam, you know, if, if we were to count how many people have said that about Jonathan, <laughs> I mean, it is. It is amazing, right? And, uh, you know, it goes to show how his career in now broadcasting is starting to take off. So, you know, it's uh, definitely benefited him in his favor. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I really appreciate that. But why don't we get to the matter at hand here, gentlemen? So, Sam, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your love for this beautiful game, and how you got into the Portland Timbers? Yeah, so I have really been closely following the Timbers since they came into MLS in uh, 2011 when they awarded an MLS, you know, expansion bid. Fun fact, back in the, the USL days when I used to play rec soccer, I was a ball boy for one of the Timbers games way back in the day when they played at a, what was then called PGE Park, which is very much still set up at that point, like a baseball stadium, but very much been converted to a soccer stadium now. So, but been really closely following the team since 2011, you know, been a huge fan, kind of grew up in the area. 
I've been writing for Stumptown since the 2019 season, um, just kind of starting off with a few feature pieces and kind of uh, just over this past year or so, I've kind of gone into more like day-to-day -day kind of beat coverage type sort of things. Yeah, I, the moment that I think I really kind of like fell in love with the Timbers was I attended my first match. It was in 2012. It was actually, it happened to be a rivalry match with the Seattle Sounders. It was actually, that game would wind up being the first time the Timbers beat the Sounders in MLS play. And from that moment, I was hooked. Just the energy, the excitement, just the flow of the game. Um, I've always been like, you know, a nominal fan of soccer, but that moment really kind of like gave me a team and a moment. I'm like, all right, this, these are my people. Like this, these are my guys moving forward. You know, when I was in the military and a buddy of mine was from Bend, Oregon, and he would talk to me about the Portland Timbers all the time. And this was before I even really started watching soccer and he would just talk about the atmosphere. And so that is definitely one of the uh, games that I want to try and catch in away days at because you just hear and you see on television how incredible that atmosphere can be. Nothing on the 3252, you know what I'm saying? But <laughs> Uh, well, they, they've traveled well. I remember being at a couple of Portland LAFC games and the, the whole away section was all filled up and it was, it was pretty wild. So yeah, they, they definitely, y'all definitely like live up to that reputation that you built for yourselves. But, well, thank I mean, you. We That's all awful know. kind of you. Yeah, uh, my we sister... all know Tim, Timber's Army is no joke though, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> my sister just got a job at the university there in Bend, Oregon. She's moving up this week. So I'll be in your neck of the woods soon enough, but... <laughs> Enough of the small talk. Let's get down to the brass tacks here. So how would you describe Portland's season so far? We know you're sitting in fifth place on 33 points, 10 wins, 10 losses, three ties. Y'all don't seem to like ties very much. That's all right. So take us a little bit through from the hometown perspective, your perception of this season so far. It has been, I think, up until a few weeks ago, a pretty frustrating season for Portland. They came into this season with pretty high aspirations. They, you know, they were in the CONCACAF Champions League to start. They were basically bringing back the same team that they had for 2020 and 2019 with the core of, you know, Diego Chara, Diego Valeri, Sebastian Blanco. The hope was that they would rely upon those veteran presence and just, you know, kind of start off as one of those top tier teams with trophy aspirations. And it didn't really start that way. I think a combination of some injuries to some players or some players returning from injury, a pretty congested fixture schedule to the start of the season with Champions League's games and also MLS games led to Portland really kind of stumbling a little bit out the gates and just kind of stumbling along since then, been very up and down. They would put together a fairly solid, fairly competent performance and then followed up with getting blown out something like 4-1, 5-1, something like that on the road. You know, I think that loss that they had to the Seattle Sounders about a month ago, 6-2 in Portland was kind of a just, a, it was a gut punch for the fans watching. And it was also a moment where they realized this season's really kind of going off the rails. It's really kind of teetering, kind of like on the edge of disaster here. And then over the past three weeks, Portland has rattled off three of their most impressive results of the season. It's really kind of turned things around. Uh, the win against Seattle up in Seattle was, I think, kind of a big catalyst for that. So it's really kind of been a, an up and down, topsy-turvy, overall frustrating season so far, which now is kind of potentially turning a corner or potentially might just be, you know, another kind of like blip as kind of like, are they actually back or are they not? Tell us, Sam, for those of us that of the LAFC community that aren't the most familiar, uh, can you kind of give us an idea of Portland's style of play, their formations or tactics? Yeah, for sure. So under head coach Giovanni Savarese, this is, I think, his fourth full season 
in charge. Yep, doing my math right. Yep, that works out. Um, his, his fourth full season in charge. He formation wise, he definitely sets up the team in more of a 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3 shape. And usually he favors playing more direct, basically absorbing pressure and then going forward at pace, utilizing either the wingers or central midfielders, usually attacking forwards. In seasons past, it, the fulcrum for that would be either Sebastian Blanco or Diego Valeri, or both of them. And I think that's sort of like his, his bread and butter is focusing on trying to stay compact, tight in the midfield, and then attack at pace, trying to, you know, just go direct and go at opposing defenses. 2021 has been a bit, like I said, a topsy-turvy season. He's experimented with a few different formations. I think he's very much settled onto a pretty standard 4-2-3-1 type shape, especially when playing on the road. Portland focused on defense first, keeping their midfield tight, flaring their wingers out wide or going wide with their fullbacks, um, overlapping, pushing forward, and then trying to find one of them on the outlet and then going at pace. A big player that's kind of helped facilitate their attack, you know, since his return has been Sebastian Blanco. He has really kind of taken on most of the playmaking duties and, and he does it by kind of running all over the place, finding the ball, finding the play, and then trying to bring others into the play and then spring them on the attack. Proven to be pretty effective for the past few games. Well, I love that 4-2-3-1 formation. It won my Dimanshaft a World Cup. Yeah. Here, so something I'm particularly fond of. You mentioned it, the run of play recently for Timbers has been exceptional, three wins in a row. So what would you attribute their current run of form to? Something that us in the LAFC world can certainly relate to, given uh, our recent performances of late finally turning our season around. So do you think that this is a sustainable development within the team? And do you think it will carry through Colorado to the match versus LAFC this weekend? Yeah, I think that's the big question. I think I would say that most people were pretty surprised to see the sustainable run for the Timbers. They going into this, they're just finishing out a five game straight on the road kind of stretch here. Going into that stretch, they posted one of the worst records on the road, one of the worst goal differentials. We were all kind of bracing for the worst. And then, like you said, they, they've rattled off, you know, it's been 10 points over the past, they've been 10 points over the past five games, three wins in a row, three shutout wins in a row, something they haven't done in any form since 2018. And the first time actually since 2007 that they've posted three straight away shutout victories, which is pretty crazy. I think about for this team, I think the reasons that it, that it came about was, I think it's cliche, but it was really kind of focusing on their focus and their mentality and trying to do the little things right, especially in the midfield. They were giving up cheap goals by not getting their defensive rotations right, not getting pressure to attackers, especially in the midfield. They would just let opposing attackers just waltz right on through and then get a shot on goal. And they started tightening it up a little bit. I think a big reason for that is they're playing Diego Chara, who's you know their strongest defensive midfielder as a true defensive midfielder, is more of a shield for the back line rather than a box-to-box type player. And with him sticking, staying home, it's allowed him to kind of cover less ground, which means he's able to get to the ball quicker, which means he can bring more players in, which means the defensive rotations are tightening up a little bit. The big question is, is, you know, is that sustainable for, for Diego Chara? He's getting up there in age and, you know, is he able to do it week in and week out, especially in a week like this where they have, you know, a game on Wednesday and then the quick turnaround game against LAFC on Sunday night. So I think, you know, three straight road shutout victories, that's a pretty strong data point that they can Right off a tough victory. I think the biggest thing, the biggest indicator will be, is this run sustainable will be if they can put together performances like this at home, where they will likely be controlling more of the ball, will likely have to create more, you know, can't really rely upon the other team creating spaces and relying on the counterattack as much. Can they translate their, you know, more defensive solidity into 
more progressive kind of flowing kind of attack, you know, as we kind of can expect from teams at home. So you touched on it right there with Chara playing one of those two pivot roles in the 4-2-3-1 being a more effective piece for him. But in a 4-2-3-1 with this many games in this short a span of time, there has to be some depth within the squad. Now, from an LAFC perspective, you know, we're obviously familiar with the likes of Blanco and Chara and Valeri. And so I'm sort of curious for the casual LAFC fan, take us through some of those other roster players and what exactly we should expect to see, not only in the other role within that double pivot, but throughout the rest of the squad, those role players and what we should expect to see versus LAFC this weekend. I think starting in that in that double pivot in the middle, I think the the player that, you know, Savarese is turning to mostly in the middle is George Foshive, who was drafted by the Timbers back a few years ago, left to go play abroad. And they just recently re-signed him as an emergency replacement player in this season. I mean, he's been a very important depth piece. Turns out it was a really smart signing to get another body in there. And he kind of plays that like slightly more advanced role in that double pivot he'll kind of play a little more box to box a little more reserved neither of him or chara are best fits to go forward portland's best player for that eric williamson unfortunately tore his acl against seattle a few weeks ago so he's out for the season so it's probably going to be fashive next to chara you know for the stretch run here and that's likely who i would anticipate playing on on sunday kind of being that like extra kind of body and he and chara are getting their spacing like you know it's kind of progressively improving game and in the game by game so Hopefully it'll get better. I think beyond that, you know, other players that will probably be relied upon to play a role. Portland likes to push their fullbacks forward. One of their big signings this last offseason was uh, Claudio Bravo, not goalkeeper Claudio Bravo, um, Claudio Nicolas Bravo, Argentinian 24-year-old left back. They signed him as a left back and, and he's definitely settled into the season. He had a rocky start, but he's definitely settled in and he's been a very solid contributor, both in the attack on the and in the defense. Um, I think it's likely you'll see him bombing on forward. And I think another player that has been in a really strong run of form, I mean, a player that I know LAFC fans are probably familiar with is Felipe Mora. He's kind of taken over the starting number nine role since Portland traded Jeremy Abobasi to San Jose. He's been in very strong form. He didn't score last week against Vancouver for the Timbers, but he basically created the goal and had put the ball towards the net, which resulted in an own goal. So He's been in really strong form, and I would very much expect him to start and play a very big role on Sunday as well. So similar to Portland, LAFC had had a bit of a rocky season to start, but have found some form in the last three games with a draw against the Galaxy and then a win against Sporting Kansas City and a win against RSL. What are some of your concerns about the match coming up this weekend against LAFC? Well, I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, Portland and LAFC have never played a normal game of soccer. They've always been crazy <laughs> back and forth. I think I remember like the, because yeah, like I mentioned, I think Felipe Mora scored a like a stoppage time uh, winner back yes. in Portland. Yeah, I have to bring it up. Why you got to remind us? And, All right, okay. and I'm pretty sure LAFC stole it, a draw, I think last season of like a last gasp goal. Um, I remember that one as well. So with those things in mind, like, yeah, these it's always crazy when these two teams play. I think LAFC has been a team that Portland has had trouble with in the past. It's very been like a back and forth matchup between the two I think Portland really struggles the most or has struggled the most with the movement of LAFC's forwards usually it was you know Carlos Vela up top like creating space and like dragging the central defenders out of their preferred positions and either committing to over challenging for the ball or not challenging enough kind of being an uncomfortable position and Portland has historically struggled with teams that press them you know when they turn the ball over they really like to knock it around and create some space but when teams press them and counter press them which LFC has proven to be very effective of in the past, that 
can create problems for the Timbers. The Timbers aren't a young team. They're not necessarily a fast team. So if you turn them over in the right spot and you go at them with pace, odds are they'll probably find space. And the likelihood of Portland being able to scramble to defend is, you know, I wouldn't put money on that at, at this point. So if LAFC can do that, if which, you know, the game probably sets up well for them to do, then, you know, it, it has the potential to give Portland problems if they don't get their spacing right in the midfield and in the defense. On the converse side of the same story, what are the things that you're confident about going into this particular match versus LAFC? I think the biggest thing or person that I'm the most confident in is, is the play of Sebastian Blanco. He tore his ACL last season and it was kind of a, a little bit of a more protracted and prolonged return from injury than I think we all expected for him. You know, we expected to see him maybe towards the beginning of the season. Okay, maybe then a month in. Okay, he made his return. Oh, but now he has to rest a little bit more. So it's been a lot longer than we thought. But he's just now kind of finding more consistent game time, getting more consistent starts. And it's really showing. He, as a playmaker, I think, like I mentioned, he he really does go find the ball and really kind of like find wherever he needs to have space. He's very mobile. And that has made it, he's been a nightmare for opposing defenses. Um, again, he didn't create, he didn't get an assist for that goal, but it was his play that really kind of put the Vancouver back line in shambles last week for the Timbers. And I think his ability to win the ball, go direct, create space and create chances for his teammates, I think is so important to what the Timbers want to do. And he's been very effective at it so far. If he can still, if he can perform at that level, Portland can go toe to toe attack wise with most teams in the league, I would argue. So if he can do that, like I'm pretty confident in his ability to do so. Felipe Mora has shown that, you know, he can score goals. So I'm confident that that combination will probably link up at least once, I would imagine, to create, if not a goal, at least a very good uh, scoring opportunity. So as you'd mentioned, Portland beat LAFC 2-1 to back in July, and that goal was in end stoppage time. And so obviously there's a game this upcoming weekend, and LAFC plays Portland 10 days later, right? With the matches being so close together and currently LAFC sitting only three points behind Portland, are you concerned about that at all in the schedule in, in looking past this weekend, uh, especially with everything being so close in playoff position? Yeah, I think that's always a concern for, for the Timbers at this, you know, at this point stretch run in the season with the way the schedule is set up, all of them are against, you know, teams that they're jostling, you know, jockeying against for playoff positioning. So, you know, every game is important. There's really no off games that you can kind of like overlook or anything. And like you said, Colorado is coming into town, Colorado, one of the best teams in the Western Conference kind of the surprise of the Western Conference this season. That's going to be a tough one, which I know Portland will want to play well. It's their first time back at home in over a month. And then, like you said, LAFC on Sunday, another team that, you know, is nipping right at Portland's heels and is another team that they'll probably be battling out with, you know, towards the stretch run here. I think there's always a concern that, you know, maybe overlook one for another one, a bigger game on the weekend, especially with the game so close, like kind of fast and furious like this. I think it's going to be important for the Timbers to, to handle rotation and you know rotating guys in and out if they need to give some guys a rest especially with the age of some of these players like I said Sebastian Blanco getting up there in age Valeri as well they're gonna have to get the rotations right to ensure that everyone's staying fresh for for moving forward in, in the playoff hunt I think with the games being so close together it's interesting this is kind of the second time that Portland's run into something like this you know where they played the Seattle Sounders one week and then a couple weeks later played them again I, I think there, there is always a risk of kind of expecting one thing or game planning for one thing, but the other thing kind of happening. I think with the game, 
you know, the games being kind of like a home and home, like one in Portland and one at LA, I think you'll see, I think the biggest thing that you'll see between those two things will probably be like some sort of carryover of energy. I think when these two teams play, it's always, it always seems to kind of have a little bit of extra spice to it, just a little bit kind of added in. So say something happens on Sunday at the game, I'm sure players will remember that and bring it over into the game, you know, a couple of weeks from then. And, and I'm sure it'll make things just all the more interesting. And there'll probably be a lot of storylines and narratives that are carrying over from one game to the next. Well, thank Absolutely. you so much. Uh, once again, this week's opponent correspondent has been Sam Spiller. You know him at Samich923 on your social media platforms. He joins us from Stumptown Footy at Stumptown Footy, uh, sorts SB Nation coverage of the Portland Timbers. So thank you so much for coming in and joining us. Really looking forward to you being a regular guest for us, previewing any of our Portland matches. We sincerely thank you for coming on and talking some footy with us, sir. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you very much, man. Have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. All right. And that was our interview with Sam Sviller of Sumptown Footy. He was our, our opponent correspondent for the Portland Timbers for this upcoming match. We are going to have Sam on again in about uh, a week so that he can pre help us preview the second match in 10 days against the Portland Timbers. So thank you again, Sam. But now something else that we'd like to talk about before we get into the interview with our esteemed guest, Tony Hernandez from Heart of LAFC. We want to talk about the community event that is going on around all of the MLS right now. It is very near and dear to our hearts, and especially as some of you who are also listeners of our friends of the show, Defenders of the Bank, Scarf likes to take on this kick childhood cancer uh, campaign very seriously. He likes to make sure that it's a point of uh, contention. That's actually kind of how his whole scarf story had started, right? Was that he was, they were taking the pictures of scarfs every day and that's how he took the pictures with different scarfs. And that's how his story kind of began. But for those of you that don't know, the kick childhood cancer is a campaign that the MLS is doing. And there are hashtags and tweets and retweets and anything that has hashtag kick childhood cancer that is going to donate money for cancer research for children. And it is a campaign that MLS does every year. You can tell that it's that time of year when the MLS puts on the yellow ribbons above on the above the Adidas logo on their jerseys. They also have kick childhood cancer warm-ups. They have the yellow kick childhood cancer balls. So there's just a lot of things to try and grab the attention of this great cause. And with that, our co-host Jonathan has a couple of things that he would like to say from a personal story that he has in relation to the kick childhood cancer movement. Go ahead. Yeah, this MLS works campaign is really a fantastic thing. And, and we would encourage each one of you to go out there and tweet and retweet that kick childhood cancer. But I thought we would uh, just stop for a quick moment, have a little story time with Gringo. And I just kind of wanted to share a little something with y'all that helped motivate you to go out there and and tweet and retweet those kick childhood cancer tweets. Every single one of those raises $1. I'm very happy to say that between our show's account and our personal accounts, us here at Shoulder to Shoulder have already raised over $500 for kick childhood cancer. But we are really trying to elevate that to the next level. So if you guys will permit me, I have a little bit of something that speaks on some personal experiences from my life that I would like to read for y'all now. I would like to take a moment to discuss the MLS Works campaign to kick childhood cancer. If you'll permit me a moment of story time with Gringo, I'd like to share a couple moments in my life with you. Not being a parent like both of my wonderful co-hosts, perhaps I'm not the best person to speak on this issue, but seeing as how the LAFC community has been kind enough to support my voice on this platform, I would be remiss 
not to take a moment to reflect on some personal experiences. As I have mentioned perhaps too many times on this show, I've had a very dark experience during LAFC's inaugural season. My girlfriend Amanda had an allergic reaction to something she ate, and on the day we were supposed to move in together, that reaction caused a case of immunoencephalitis, and she was found comatose in her bedroom and was hospitalized for the entire remainder of the year. During her stay at the hospital, I visited her every day. The first few weeks in ICU at Kaiser Sunset, I became acquainted with the father of a patient in the room next to Mandy, a Pakistani family whose young daughter was slipping away from leukemia. It was dark times with very little hope for either of us, and we took comfort in our shared grief. One night I arrived at the hospital to find the entire family standing around the door to her room. I quickly hurried past as not to bother them and settled in Mandy's room next door. What transpired over the next hour was one of the most horrific experiences of my life. A clamor of alarms and alerts was quickly followed by intercom pages, a flurry of activity, and a rush of RNs and doctors past our door. A few moments later, the cophony of machine noises went silent. What quickly followed were the wails and laments of the father echoing through the now eerily silent halls. For what seemed like an eternity, he broke down with every ounce of emotion in his body. After the family left, they had to call in the janitorial staff to clean up the puddle of spittle and tears left from this poor man's wailing and pounding on the hallway floor. A few moments later, our RN stopped in to check on us. I saw in his face that he was upset, and I asked him, how do you do this every day? He looked up with resigned, misty eyes and said, it's part of the job. After a moment, he stopped, clearly lost in reflection, and added, this is where people come to go. It's mostly part of the natural process of life. We live, we die. I'm okay with that. Most people who pass here have lived long, full lives. But moments like this, as he gestured to the room next door, they never get any easier. I've been doing this 10 years, and at least once a week before I leave the hospital, I sit in my car and cry. No one should have to bury their child. We hugged and he excused himself. Fast forward a month and Mandy had awoke from her coma. She was receiving frequent rituxan chemotherapy infusions to help restart her brain functions. I would sit with her while she received her transfusions. A little boy and his mother were in the transfusion center along with us a couple times. When I first met him, he was frail, emaciated, had no hair. He was slow moving and looked to be in great pain. His mother had the look of someone who had been pressed to the very limit of emotional capacity, sunken, withdrawn, desolate. On one particular day, a day I will never forget, he came into the room with a big smile on his face and a pep in his step. I looked to him and his mother and said, you look happy today, young man. He responded with a big smile. Tomorrow is my birthday. I made it. Happy birthday, I replied. How old are you going to be? Eight, he said with a massive grin. The doctor said I wouldn't make it, but I did. His look was one of determination, pride. Congratulations, I responded, looking from the child to his mother's loving eyes. What are you doing to celebrate? His mother looked over to me and said, we're having a fundraiser for children's cancer. It was supposed to be in remembrance of him, now it gets to be in celebration of him. 
The boy turned to me and said something that will be burned in my mind forever. I am a seven-year-old boy that gets to be eight. I know I'll never be a 10-year-old boy. But maybe this money will help the next eight-year-old boy get to be a 10-year-old boy. I was blown away. His mother fought back tears, quickly wished us well, and ushered him to the infusion chair. I donated money to his event and followed his story through a Facebook group created for him. He passed away a few months later. In reflection of moments like these, and knowing they happen every day across the globe, I would encourage each and every one of you listeners to stop and consider how easily the MLS Works campaign has made it to be a force for good. It takes two taps of the finger to retweet the hashtag KickChildhoodCancer. Two taps, one dollar. The average radiation treatment costs $9,000. Chemotherapy can run from $1,000 to $12,000 per treatment. That's a lot of taps. On this show, we get about three to 5,000 listens an episode, and we are eternally grateful for each and every one. But if our listeners retweeted hashtag KickChildhoodCancer twice, we could fund one entire radiology treatment. Fund one moment of research. Maybe that's the one moment that makes a difference, and you could be that difference. Thank you for letting me have my story time, and thank you all for being a force for good. I got to tell you, man, it's, it's such a powerful, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where you, you just, to have those kinds of experiences, you know, it makes you really appreciate life, and it makes you really want to look back and reevaluate some of the things that you're concerned about and not try and sweat the small stuff because it's stories like that that just make you, you know, and I just, I got to say thanks, man. You know, thank you for sharing that story. Thank you for being so candid and so personal and you know, allowing us to share in that moment with you. I know that, that that time in your life was hard by itself with Mandy. So to have this other layer of things on top of it is just gut-wrenching. But uh, again, thank you very much, man. We really appreciate it. And please, everybody go out there. Hashtag kick childhood cancer for MLS, the MLS works program. So I think it's a perfect time to go ahead and transition into the interview portion of the show. I really appreciate you all letting me soapbox there for just a moment, not to bring too much of a dark cloud over the show, but these are some serious things that are going on in our community. And I think it's important for us when we have an opportunity to help with such little effort that we put any attention as best to that as we can. But moreover, why don't we go ahead and get to the man of the hour himself. Once again, joining us from our friends over at Heart of LAFC, we have Tony Hernandez. Thank you. Thank you, sir, so much for supporting the pod fam and popping on over and letting shoulder to shoulder tell your story. Of course. Anytime, you guys, you know, you got to support the pod fam no matter what. We're all in this for the same reasons, no matter what it is. Community first. Community first. Well, speaking of first, sir. Why don't we go ahead and rewind the clock all the way back to when the beautiful game enters your life and tell us how you fell in love with football. It's not the same just because uh, being a Mexican, like first generation, because my parents came from Durango, Mexico. I actually didn't fall in love with the game till I was probably nine years old. Growing up in uh, Thousand Oaks, I was pretty much of a very white suburban community. So basketball and baseball were dominant. It wasn't until my mother put me into ASO as I fought her for it because I wanted to play CYBA, <laughs> unfortunately. Small hands, movements, everything was really well. And then next thing you know, fell in love with it more. 
And then the moment that just kind of like solidified it was a gold cup between the U.S. and Mexico watching Luis Hernandez and everyone on that team. And of course, Mexico won that one. And it just ever since then, I just just fell in love with it, like following it no matter what I did and actually brought me and my dad a little bit closer together. Were there any teams that you supported throughout the course of your childhood professionally? Did you have a, a team in Liga Mekis back in Mexico or perhaps across the pond or, or here stateside? Pretty much a Club America is going to be my club for, for Liga. My uncles and then my father all supported that club. Unfortunately, there is a, uh, my hometown where they're from is in second division and but we're not the greatest team in the world because we're known for baseball actually out there instead of soccer or football. And it, like I said, it was like, those are the only ones. It wasn't until I got out of high school when I finally started following EPL, La Liga and uh, Serie A was because uh, was when I started following because of again, FIFA and everything. And then one of the players that inspired me was a, two it was in the 2004 Cristiano Ronaldo on Manchester and I was like who is this kid what I've never heard of him and then next you know I became a Man U fan and rolled with it and then didn't know this kid didn't know this little like dorky kid looking kid became the the goat as the conversation goes with him and Messi moving forward. I didn't know we had another club of America and another man United fan on the show. I, I might've reconsidered booking. No, I'm just kidding. Pretty crazy news in the club America world yesterday. My goodness, our hearts go out to the Philadelphia union fans and what they're going through at the moment. Nothing. Anyone wants to see anywhere club America though. Look, the biggest fan bases in Mexico, for sure. I know a lot of Club America fans. I know a lot of Chivas fans that, that might not say too nice things about people's mothers, but I love the rivalry. I love the intensity and the passion between those two teams. Man U, you know, of course, has developed a crosstown rival with City now. And, you know, that two teams going back and forth with Ronaldo back. So what do you think about him rejoining the squad? Honestly, it's one of the one of the moments that I wished happened. And it, I'm so happy because like most of the times, most players don't go back to their hometown club as in like the one that made it big. They usually go back to their, their starter club. You know what I mean? So he would have gone back to Portugal, but not going to lie. Any Manchester United was kind of scared that he might go to city for a second. So, but thank you to uh, pretty much. I, I, I honestly think the whole, his whole team from Man U that he played with, like literally called him up. be like, how are you doing? Just, it blows my mind that Messi and Ronaldo both changed clubs in the same offseason and, and the combined fee spent was like less than 30 mil. I just, I, I well, just, yeah, I mean, even crazy. just to add, just to add on top of that, right. Look at all the rest of the people that PSG had gotten in <laughs> Jeannie Wijnaldum. They had gotten, uh, I can't remember the goalkeeper's name, the Italian goalkeeper that they had gotten Pretty much, it's pretty much, it's almost Buffon, but 2.0 because his last name's the same way as a G, uh, Giannini, so. Right. It's just, you know, you, there was a lot of people that had transferred in this window. Um, so this was one of the biggest transfer windows of all time. But but yeah, your point, though, how much little money was spent, and it's just insane. And then PSG turns down like a, like a $3 trillion offer for Mbappe when he's, eight months from being on a boss and going no, for free no but you i mean you understand that right though like this is psg's best chance to win champions league and so they are going to need every single marquee star player on that roster so trading mbappe while they would have made a killing in the amount of money 
it's to, I think to them winning a trophy is more important than making the money in this sale. Without him inking a contract extension, it seems a bit crazy to me to turn down the kind of money they turned down. But anyway, we're not here to talk EPL or legal. <clears throat> Uh, so uh, we can uh, go ahead and kick it back to our guest here. Like I said, I can keep talking about that all, all night <laughs> if you guys want to. So, but uh, we can keep moving on if you like. So you you talked about growing up in Thousand Oaks and how you're a big 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 fan of sports in general, but it wasn't really soccer. But you also, in addition to the other general sports that you had played, you also had a little bit of an interest in esports. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about your time with esports and and what exactly that is i mean i know what esports is but i'm saying like <laughs> what it means to you so uh for the people who don't know what esports is it's pretty much like a professional video game so there's like call of duty of course league of legends valorant csgo a couple of different leagues and stuff like that that they make teams as a kid i've always loved playing video games it's one of the other hobbies that i loved doing as a kid mind you uh, my first system was an nes my dad gave me me and him played super mario so that just shows my age a little bit there, but esports got me into it because it's just like one of those things where I know most people say it's like, oh, it's just these kids on a controller. It's like not that hard, but if you actually go at it with a professional, it's pretty hard because it's like the 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 concentration, the the clicking, the everything is just very hard. But it it just it just inspires me just to like to see that like you can not only be a athlete in physically but also mentally with like your reflexes and everything like that and it still goes the same thing like you're pretty much old by the time you hit 28 it's the same thing as regular sports your your reflexes go and stuff like that but yeah like esports is one of the things i always follow um my team is pretty much a uh, 100 thieves they which is an offshoot of optic gaming because one of the players nate shot uh started uh left optic to start his own thing and then finally decided his own team so had you ever really tried to become a professional esports player or was that just one of those things where it's just as hard to become a professional in esports as it is to be a professional in any other sport i never tried to be honest because it was one of those things like me growing up it wasn't a thing it like you know i mean no one knew that you could make like six figures from being a professional video game player is the best way to say it like I played it for fun. I like, of course, I'm always competitive no matter what I do. So it's like, whatever, anything is going, I try to be the best. But at the time, I didn't know this could eventually turn into like a, like you could be a player for this. But it's like, again, it's the same thing. It's like you play football, you can play with your friends, just hop on to your PlayStation, your PC, whatever, your Xbox, and just have fun with friends and do it the same way. It's just more communication and everything like that. So, well, if I want to date myself, the first video game console I owned was the tabletop Pong. So literally one game, whole big old device, screen built in and everything. And, and uh, 80, yeah. you know, back then it was, uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, pre-NES era, uh, interesting. So do you follow like Remy Martin and do you pay much attention to what's going on currently in the world of esports and the MLS crossovers there? Um, LAFC and Remy actually introduced me to the pretty much the FIFA MLS like esports of it because I never knew that was a thing. I like, I know NBA 2K because that's like one of those, like a lot of rappers and stuff like that, that I listen to play that in the, of course, you know, a lot of the esports and all that stuff like that, but I did not know 
how big FIFA was going to be because there's always FIFA versus PES and now it's some called something else. But yeah, once he got him, like, what? This is a, I'm like, let me see this. And I was just like, because again, you just played for fun. I always played fun, FIFA for fun. And as the uh, controls for the game got more advanced, I didn't know how advanced it got until watching Remy and seeing how well he plays and not even being able to touch that is kind of, it's kind of crazy, but kind of cool at the same time to watch. I suck at FIFA. I lose on easy to the computer. I'm, I'm terrible at it. I've tried. It's just, I can't do it whatsoever. Well, one of your other passions beyond the world of esports is the world of anime. So why don't you tell us a little bit how you got into anime and what exactly that rabbit hole goes down to? That rabbit hole can go down any situation on that one, but we'll go the, the good route. Let's just say that. So um, growing up, I yeah, always, keep, keep the tentacles out of it, please. Of course, I grew up watching cartoons like anybody else. It wasn't until most of my, the adults in my age watched Tsunami. So your first kind of rendition was Dragon Ball Z, uh, Sailor Moon, Gundam, and stuff like that. And then as that evolved, I started seeing more different kinds of anime, and especially with Crunchyroll or the uh, illegal streaming sites for anime, because again, the internet has allowed us to watch more different styles of it. It shows like the different, like they have more of a story than most general like Saturday morning, Sunday morning cartoons. And it like, I've, I'm a big Gundam fan and like, I've gotten into more of like, of course I got into Attack on Titans. And the other one right now is the Juju is the one I'm watching. And then Death Note is another one that's really well done and stuff like that. So the animation is done really well and they, and they take real good pride of it, but it's more about the storyline. It's like a very real world storyline and sometimes in fantasy and stuff like that. But it like, it touches your heart sometimes. It's kind of cool. So how excited are you about Cowboy Bebop coming back? Are you talking about the Netflix one? Netflix does anime live action pretty dirty, not going to lie. They don't do it too well. Now, even like regular people who do live actions for the anime, it's not the greatest. But again, I'll give it a shot, see how it goes. It, it's going to be kind of cool, but we'll, like I said, we'll see. Like I'll not judge it until I see it. As long as they keep the seatbelts doing the music, I love the seatbelts. A fantastic jazz band that does the original music for the anime version of Cowboy Bebop. As, as long as they keep the seatbelts behind it, I'll be happy. I'm definitely going to check it out. I was a huge Miyazaki fan growing up. Uh, one of my cats is actually named Totoro. And so uh, I've dabbled a little bit, but certainly not not gone down the rabbit hole to the extent that you are. But is there any one sort of film or TV show that might be a bit off the beaten path that you could recommend to our listeners? For anime honestly so you gotta gotta go the classic bro akira you gotta go oh no yeah akira yeah but that's like the obvious one like well yeah akira or um what was the scholar johansson one i'm just like blanking on that one just because they did that one so bad of course any of like like my neighbor totoro of course any of like pretty much studio ghibli any of those films are gonna be one of those to watch it's like a good family film and stuff like that anime wise i honestly one of them that actually you would like jonathan uh, samurai shampoo it's set in the time of japanese like feudal age but it's all with hip-hop and everything like that <laughs> well oh yeah yeah so my hatred of hip-hop once again comes out here <laughs> No, I, I might check it out. I think I've actually heard about that one floating around, so I'll, I'll have to give it a whirl. Anime so, was never really something that I, I went crazy on. Chris, did you figure out what it was? Yeah, Ghost in the Shell. 
Yes, that one. That's a really good one. Oh, I saw that movie. Yeah. Yeah, that was based off of an anime. I didn't even know. I just saw it had Scarlett Johansson in it, and I was like, I'm in. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, you know, I I used to uh, get Shonen Jump when it was, when, you know, I I think I was like in middle school when Shonen Jump first started coming out. And, uh, you know, it was, that was one of my first big exposures to it. And, you know, Shonen Jump was, is like a, it's a regular subscription, monthly subscription magazine that they have in Japan. And uh, it has just like a bunch of chapters from different stories in there. And so it came monthly. And so you'd be able to follow along monthly on the like five or six different stories and stuff. So it's cool stuff. All right. Well, maybe enough geeking out about anime. And why don't we geek out about some football again? Because that's kind of what the show's about. So when does the black and gold enter your life? And, And take us through the story of you finding out about LAFC deciding that you're going to become a season ticket holder, a supporter, then all of a sudden, bam, there you are in black army. So take us through how you found LAFC and found your SG. So I heard the inklings of LAFC because I followed the MLS, like even like you, you live in LA and stuff like that. And of course you always hear galaxy and stuff like that. And the connect, like I've been to games to galaxy games, of course, just because Kobe Jones went to my rival high school in Westlake. So I met him when I was first time playing club and he came to one of our training methods. So, so that's the one I, I could never like, you can never, you like the players they sign is the best way to say it. You never liked the team or the culture. It was always the players because they knew how to sign a player to get the excitement, but that it literally felt like there was no atmosphere there. There was no nothing. Then LAFC, when Chivas um, kind of went their way and LAFC came through, I like I was excited. Then they saw in Vela, so I was like, okay, is this? I don't know what this is going to be. I'm again, same thing with Galaxy. They're signing a big name to attract stuff like that. It wasn't until probably season two. My cousin has season takes takes me straight into the north end, right in, right in, and stuff like that, and fell in love with it. Honestly. I was like, this is what I've been looking for. This is a football club. This is a football culture. This is everything we needed in MLS. Started as I do anything. I literally just jump into the deep end and just absorb myself listening to whatever podcasts are at, whatever YouTube is at and stuff like that. So listen to you guys, listening to Defenders, Heart of LAFC, Somos, everything. And then I was like, how do, how do I join one of these groups? So I went through the process of like going to different watch parties and seeing it off and just some reason Black Army just like was just calling my name. And then I, uh, my, my girlfriend actually hit them up because like I was, I'm, I, I'm pretty shy as most people don't know. It's just like when I'm meeting someone new because it's just like, I don't know how they'll take my excitement, who I am, everything like that. So she reached out to them. And then that's how I got pretty much into Black Army and then just went full force into it. I love hearing the story about my girlfriend dragged me into the supporters (laughs) group and into the supporters culture. You know, from so many other people, we've heard the converse story successfully that, oh, you know, I've brought my wife, I've brought my girlfriend to games and now she's a big supporter. I I love that in this case, the roles were reversed from what we have typically heard on the show, not to not to play gender roles here or anything but that uh that she was the one who dragged you into black army that's fantastic smart woman she knew uh she knew where you would find your place 
So tell us a little bit how, um, you know, Black Army became taking a part now as a regular contributor to Heart of LAFC. So I'm just doing my whole thing with Black Army supporting and everything like that, watching that Jerry was left and then saw Joseph trying to figure out who was next potential co-host and everything like that. He hits me up one day and be like, hey, I want you on for an episode. I was like, yeah, sure. Let's go. Let's do it. And first episode very nervous didn't have a mic didn't have like literally my my gamer headset and that was like the worst audio if you ever listen to that episode it's like the worst audio because you hear me huffing and puffing into the mic well i suppose i owe you an apology too because when i was on heart of lafc i had some technical difficulties and caused some terrible audio for you guys for that episode as well so i'm sorry about that i feel your pain <laughs> but at least you had the mic though it, like you didn't have it straight up to your mouth so it, it's a new mic so it, understandable and then it goes to like, I told Joseph, I was like, hey, man, if you ever need me again, I'm like, I'm pretty much open. Like, I'm down to do it. Turned out turning into more and more. And uh, next thing you know, I'm just involved with it and trying to help Joseph and help grow that pretty much his pod, everyone else's pod, because I just want everyone to succeed and just keep growing our passion throughout everybody. Well, Obviously, we love Heart of LAFC. We're huge fans of that show over here. You have done a fantastic job since taking over. Why don't you go ahead and take us through what the experience of that first show was like? Were you super nervous? Uh, what was that that moment like for you? I was honestly, yeah, nervous as hell. Like, honestly, I've never been in front of a camera, like going back to esports. Like, I kind of wanted to stream and stuff like that. And it's a, it's, the one thing people don't understand is like Heart of LAC actually has a visual a visual camera that you can jump on and stuff like that. So you have to be comfortable in front of a camera, which is pretty hard if you've never done it before in your entire life. So I, I had to have a couple of drinks in me, not going to lie, like two shots in. And then like I had a beer and try to make sure like I was sipping and trying to like that liquid courage. And it, it was nerve wracking because it's just like speaking on it. It's just like I didn't want to act. I didn't want to sound dumb. I didn't like, I know my football knowledge because I've played for years, but it's just like for how many people for like thousands of people who listen to it or a hundred people listen to it. They just, I just didn't want to come off it. And just like, so it's, it's just sort of like, eventually I got the confidence just to keep doing it. And I could just do it without like, just like, like in my sleepwalk, but I was super nervous and just making sure I was prepped to like the T. So you know, Jonathan can speak to this too, because he had come on our show as a guest originally, and then eventually it transitioned into more of a permanent deal. So what was it like for you, you know, to finally have Joseph come to you and uh, say, hey, you know, I'd like you to be part of the team full time and make this, you know, like an official thing. It felt like, I think I said on the 200 episode, it felt like an Academy kid getting called up to the, the main stage, you know? It was like a very nice honor and stuff like that because out of anybody, he could have picked anybody. It could have been random Joe, Joe Schmo or anything, but he chose me. So it was an honor. So just to feel that, hey, people like you, people, my Joseph likes me to keep keep doing this. It was a it was an honor. And I still treat it as an honor because you never know how long it goes until you never know how long you have it till. Well, we've said it before on the show. I've said it on your show and, and Heart of LAFC is an institution. It's bigger than a podcast. It's been such an integral part of our community since way before day one, being one of the early voices to be able to, you know, be our friend and our insider into the LAFC community. So uh, I, I'm loving what you do there, brother. And, you know, 
stay golden. Keep at it. You guys are doing a great job. I know you guys have an episode starting here fairly soon, so we don't have much more of your time as you have to prep to record tonight. To pull back the curtain a little bit, Tony joined us very last minute when a guest pulled out for us. We are eternally grateful that he was able to come on and fill in tonight. We are a big fan of what you're doing over there at Heart of LAFC and you know, can't wait to see, you know, another hundred episodes when you guys cross that 300 mark. So keep at it, brother. We do have one final question for you today. You may have seen this coming. Mr. Hernandez, what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you, sir? To me, it means community. It means like literally what, what I just did is like when, when your brother or your sister comes and asks you for help, do you say, what can I do? When do you need me? What do you do? Is just the, the whole community sense of, bringing together so many different people and having them just flourish. And that's the whole thing. And that's why I've always, my whole life, I've always just been like, how can I help you? Not because it benefits me, but it just, it helps you and makes your day better and stuff like that. And that's what shoulder to shoulder means. And it's just, it's, I'm so happy that I'm part of this community. I'm part of the 3252 community, part of the LAFC community that we continue this shoulder to shoulder, this helpfulness, no matter what happens. Beautiful. Beautiful. Once again, our guest this evening has been Tony Hernandez. He is at Andes underscore Eres. That is A-N-D-E-Z underscore H-E-R-E-S. And of course, he is a regular contributor co-host now over at heart of lafc at heart of lafc i don't need to tell you that you're all following that show you're all listening to that show and if you're not well a thank you for listening to our show but b go listen to their show because they do fantastic work we also wanted to give shouts to sam spiller as well too who joined us as our first opponent correspondent you can follow him at samich 923 be nice okay people i know how y'all can get out there in the interworlds okay be respectful of our friend that has joined us and he has, of course, joined us from Stumptown Footy at Stumptown Footy. And they are an SB Nation coverage of the Portland Timbers and Thorns. So thank you guys so much. Thank you for allowing me my story time today in order to try and convince you guys to go out there and hashtag kick childhood cancer. Uh, we're very sorry that Christian could not make it this evening. A little trouble putting the baby down and, uh, you know, being a father is more important than anything else. So we support him in his endeavors. Our love goes out to him and the family, and hopefully that little one goes to sleep pretty soon so he can get some sleep. But on behalf of our guests today, both Tony and Sam, myself, Jonathan, my co-hosts, Christian and Chris, and of course, the legend himself, sound engineer, Wilton, we'd like to thank you guys all for listening to episode 101 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. And with that, take us home, Sticks. Shoulder to shoulder, together this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us old mommy, about to drop her fifth. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bitch.